0: I want to begin by expressing my appreciation to Brother Tommy Brooks for allowing me the opportunity to be a part of this nationwide gospel meeting. I'm very grateful to those of you who are listening tonight as we study God's Word together. We are so thankful for the opportunity to take the gospel into the world and particularly tonight throughout our nation. And our nation, as you well know, needs the gospel of Christ Solomon said, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. Our nation tonight needs the gospel. And so we're very grateful for the opportunity to be a part of this great series of lessons. And I, for one, want to express my appreciation for this golden opportunity bestowed on me. Our study tonight, we are asked to discuss the idea that the saved are in the church. Our lesson text will be taken from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2 verse 47, Luke said, And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. So tonight in our study together we're going to be talking about the saved are in the church. Now, I want to just begin very quickly by saying I know that there are a lot of folks in the world today that have the mistaken notion that they can be religious and even have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but have no affiliation with the church. And the first question we need to ask is this. Is this biblical? Is this what the apostles taught? Ultimately, everything that we practice and preach must harmonize with Scripture. So when we talk about the church and Christ and the importance of being a part of the church. We have to understand that the saved are in the church. So what we want to do is investigate together what the Bible has to say, because when it is all said and done and the dust clears, the only thing that really matters is what does God say. And Peter, as you well know, in 1 Peter chapter 4, In verse 11 said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, would say, Prove all things, test all things, hold fast that which is good. So our goal tonight is to prove what the Bible has to say about the saved and the church. And what I would ask people to do is to demonstrate the nobility of the Bereans of old, of whom it was said by Luke, when Paul and Silas preached to those people, the Bible tells us that they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. In other words, they made sure that what they were hearing, and by the way, Paul was an inspired apostle, and they checked him out. And so they were analyzing what they heard with what Scripture said. They wanted to make sure that it harmonized. And if they evaluated and analyzed what an inspired apostle had to say, then by all means we ought to investigate what we hear today from those who preach and teach God's Word. I want to begin by talking for a minute or two with regard to the second chapter of Acts about the message that was preached. And I would submit to you tonight in our study together that the message was Christ-centered. Acts chapter 2 has been called the hub of the Bible, and rightly so, because in the second chapter of Acts, we have the church of Christ being established. The prophets of old had foretold of this great institution being established in the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah, for example, saw the church as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. And he would say concerning the church that all nations of people would flow into it. Daniel, the great prophet of God, in Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel stood before Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and interpreted his dream, that great image. He identified Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold, the Babylonian Empire. And he pointed out that those empires that would follow Babylon, the Medes and the Persians and the Grecians and then later the Romans, they all had a divine purpose. But in verse 44, Daniel said, in the days of these kings, that is, in the days of the Roman kings. So, the church was established in the city of Jerusalem, just as Isaiah had foretold of, during the days of the Roman kings, as Daniel had prophesied of. The time, of course, about A.D. 30 or 33, The apostles received that baptismal measure of the Holy Spirit. And the text tells us they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. In other words, they had the miraculous ability to preach and teach in tongues that previously had been unknown to them. So they were preaching and teaching the Word of Almighty God. Now I said just a moment ago that the message that they preached was Christ-centered. Because as you evaluate Acts chapter 2, one of the things that stands out is that they lifted up the Christ. Listen to Peter in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or approved by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him, in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So Peter and the other apostles. They preached Jesus. They preached the Christ. Why? Because Jesus and Jesus alone can save. You remember, of course, Jesus during his earthly ministry would say in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In verse 11, he would say, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. A little bit later, after the establishment of the church, we have Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin council, and they are being interrogated about the healing of a man at the gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And they wanted to know, by what name, what power, have you done this notable deed? And They affirmed that it was by Jesus. But in verse 12, before the Sanhedrin council... They said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the Savior of the world. You remember the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. He identified Jesus as the Savior of the world. So they are lifting up the Christ to a people that needed to hear about the resurrected Christ and the import of His death. So they preached the crucifixion of Christ and His resurrection. As a matter of fact, Peter would affirm that they were witnesses to that resurrection in verse 32. So his message was Christ-centered. He preached the crucified Christ, and he also preached the coronation of Christ. Listen to what the record says that God had raised him up, verse 32, and Peter said, of which we are all witnesses, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and heard. He said, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, Jesus was raised from the dead. He is now sitting upon a throne. He is sitting upon the spiritual throne of David. He resides at the right hand of the Father, welding all authority. As He said in Matthew 28, verse 18, prior to ascending to heaven, Jesus said, All power, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And you remember God the Father said of Christ in Matthew 17, verse 5, Jesus being transfigured before, the, before Peter, James, and John on that occasion. And God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then He said, hear Him. That's significant. Because whatever the Lord Jesus says, we need to make sure that we listen and listen attentively. And that we put into practice His teaching. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And didn't Jesus ask in Luke 6 verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If we want to be right with God and enjoy the blessings of salvation, we've got to do exactly what the Son of God says. So, the message that they preached it was Christ centered the message was also convicting and this is very important look if you would in verse 36 we have the apostle peter saying therefore in light of everything that i've just said let all the house of israel know assuredly that god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and christ what peter was saying on that occasion is simply this that jesus is the anointed one he was the messiah who had been foretold of centuries earlier beginning with the unveiling of the promised seed in genesis 3:15 when god promised to send a redeemer into the world and remember this God decreed before He ever laid the foundation of the world that Jesus would be the one to come and redeem the human family by His precious blood. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 that Jesus is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That was God's plan. So, you have multitudes of people assembled in the city of Jerusalem. The time... As I said a moment ago, about AD 30, 33, they are here to celebrate Pentecost. And they hear the Apostle Peter, the other apostles, preach the Christ. They hear him preach the coronation of the Christ. And then he drives the point home that the very one that you have crucified, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, he is the ruler. He is sovereign over everything. As the psalmist said in Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns. But now note, if you would, verse 37. The text tells us in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Let me just pause there for a minute. What does this say to us about the power of, Of the gospel. The power is in the message. It's not in the messenger per se. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then I think about the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 4. You remember in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the writer said in the long ago, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's Word has power, power to change the hearts and lives of people. So they heard this powerful gospel, and they were hearing about the Christ that that they had been responsible for putting to death. And as I said a moment ago, they become convicted of what they have done Now we talk about the message, it is a message that is powerful, it is a pardoning message, but I want you to think about this for a minute. Listen again to what the Bible says regarding those who were assembled in Jerusalem on Pentecost Day. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? I said a moment ago, God's Word is powerful. It is living and active. It is, as the Hebrew writer said, sharper than any two-edged sword. Do you remember in John chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to the apostles on this occasion. He's talking to them about leaving them. And they would be given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. But in verse 8, Jesus said, that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world, listen to Him, of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So when people hear the gospel and they have honest and good hearts, then they can be convicted and they they can come to understand something about their spiritual state. And what Peter was saying to those people on Pentecost Day nearly 2,000 years ago was that you're in sin and you need Jesus because He is your only hope. Now we live in a day and time when the whole concept of sin has fallen on hard times. Quite frankly, there are a lot of folks that laugh at the concept of sin. Some have made a living taking jabs at what the Bible has to say about sin. But hear the inspired record. Paul said in Romans chapter 3, in verse 9, there is none righteous, no, not one. In verse 23, he said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now the Bible tells us that sin is a transgression of the law. 1 John 3, verse 4. Those who are sin ultimately will be paid for that life. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 verse 23, "The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus." So these people assembled on Pentecost day in the city of Jerusalem, they hear the gospel being preached and as I said a moment ago, they are convicted. And they want to know, men and brethren, what shall I do? What shall we do? Well, God's Word, it is a powerful Word, and it is a pardoning Word. So I want you to think in the second place for a few minutes about the membership produced. That is... Those who were present on Pentecost Day, many of those people responded favorably to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So having said that, having said that, let's look again at verse 37. The Bible says, "When they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, Listen to what Peter said nearly 2,000 years ago. And I want to remind you of something. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, of course, was in the region of Caesarea Philippi. He had asked His disciples on that occasion, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked them this question, but whom do you say that I am? And you remember Peter spoke up and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then said to Peter, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, look at verse 19 very quickly. In verse 19, Jesus said, And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In chapter 18, verse 18, we find that the keys were given not to Peter only, but to all the apostles. Now, keys signify authority. What Peter and the apostles do on Pentecost Day, they take the keys of the kingdom that had been given unto them by the Lord, and they open the doors to the kingdom of God, to this institution that God had planned before, it, before time began. And if you read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, you'll find out. The church exists according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Peter is speaking by authority here. And what was it Peter said on Pentecost Day to those who were convicted of sin, to those who were separated because of sin? Listen to him. Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Let me just pause there for a minute. Now, that's what Peter said. Did Peter have the authority to set forth the terms of admission into the kingdom of God? Well, of course he did. Why? Because Jesus had already said that he would give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Peter is not speaking of his own authority of His own volition, but rather He is speaking. Listen to Him. Listen to what Luke said, Acts chapter 2. They spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now Jesus said in John 16, 13, that the Holy Spirit would guide them into all truth. So everything that we need to know about salvation has been revealed where? In Scripture. So what Peter said on Pentecost Day, as an apostle of Christ, as a spokesman for the Lord. What he said was binding then, and it is binding today. Now I know that what Peter said differs greatly from what a lot of people in the religious world teach or espouse. It is different from what many believe and even practice. We'll just read for you very quickly from a card that I was given from a local denomination in this area. And the question is asked, are you going to heaven when you die? And so they basically state four things. Realize your condition. Recognize the penalty of sin. Remember Jesus died to pay for sin. And then they say, number four, receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And they cite Romans 10, 13. But note, if you would, what they say. If you believe what the Bible says and would like to ask the Lord Jesus to be your Savior... Sincerely pray this prayer to God. Dear Lord, I realize I'm a sinner and that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. Please forgive my sin. Come into my heart and save me. I trust you alone to take me to heaven. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. Amen. In no way do I want to impugn the motives of anyone, but you need to be, you need to listen very, very carefully. What I just read is not what the apostles taught on the day of Pentecost with regard to how to become a child of God. And you remember the psalmist said in Psalm 119, 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Whatever God decreed in the long ago regarding salvation, it is still intact today. The only way that people can be saved today is, number one, believe in Jesus Christ. Did these people believe? Well, back in Acts chapter 2, when Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. Listen to him. As you yourselves also know. Did they believe in Jesus? Yes, they did. And didn't Jesus say, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins? John 8, 24. So they believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to believe that Jesus is the very Son of God. And then, as Peter said, we must be willing to repent of our sins. Repentance is a change of heart followed by a change of actions. Jesus said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Paul said, God commands all men everywhere to repent, Acts 17, verse 30. So we hear the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We put our faith and trust in Jesus as a Savior. We come to understand He is deity. And then we repent of our sins, we make the good confession as the eunuch did, Acts 8, verse 37 that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, listen to what Peter said. We are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That Greek preposition, "ice" for, always looks forward, never backward. And the idea is we're baptized into Christ to obtain the remission, the forgiveness of sins. Where is salvation? Paul said, salvation's in Christ with eternal glory. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Okay? How then do we get into Christ? The only way that I know how to get into Christ is to be baptized into Him. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Why are we baptized into the death of Jesus? Well, where did he shed his blood? He shed his blood in death. John 19, 34 and 35. The blood of Christ is what washes away our sins. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And the only way that we can appropriate that blood is by being baptized into Christ. As Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, when we're baptized into Christ, we put on Christ. It is in that context that there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male or female. He said, For you're all one in Christ. And if you're Christ, Then your Abraham seed heirs according to the promise. What promise? Promise made 2,000 years earlier to Abraham, 4,000 years ago by our time reckoning. And the idea is that we are spiritual descendants of the promise made to Abraham in the long ago. So think about it they believed in Christ Jesus. They were baptized into Christ Jesus. They contacted the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is in the body of Christ. And you need to understand something about the body very quickly. When we talk about the body of Christ, we're talking about the church of Christ. When Jesus died on Calvary, Jesus purchased the church with His own blood. Acts 20, verse 28. Take heed to yourselves to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to feed the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. Paul said that Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it. Ephesians five twenty-five. The church was built by Jesus. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus said, I will build My church singular in nature, possessive in nature. It belongs to Him. So, Jesus built a church, He bought the church, it belongs to Him. Does it belong to any person? Now, I know that there are some people today, they say, well, you know what, it really doesn't matter if you're a member of the church. You don't have to be a member of the church to go to heaven. As a matter of fact, you can have a relationship with Jesus without ever affiliating with any church. Well, number one, you need to understand something. There's just one church. You mean there's just one church? Is that what the Bible teaches? Listen to Paul, Ephesians 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Ephesians 4, 4-6. You mean there's just one body? Well, what's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. Which is the beginning. The word beginning in Colossians 1.18 means active cause, the source from which something began. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus was the cause, the source of the church. In Ephesians 1:22 and 23, Paul said, he, he said, he put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, They're just one body. They're just one church. And those who are baptized into Jesus Christ, they are then placed in what? In the body of Christ. Look at verse 41. Those who gladly received His Word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Look at verse 47. We read it just a moment ago. And the Lord added to the church, that is the ecclesia, The ecclesia is the community of the saved, the called out. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. As Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, when we obey the gospel, we are delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. It is in that sphere that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and as Paul would say in Ephesians 1-7, according to the riches of His grace. So we're baptized into Christ. Our baptism is followed by our belief in Christ. We contact the blood of Christ and we are added to the body of Christ. So what about the saved being in the body? The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. You mean to tell me that every person who is saved is a part of the body of Christ, the church of Christ. It's exactly right. It's exactly what the Bible teaches. That means... When we obey the gospel, we become a New Testament Christian. Nothing more and nothing less. It's in that sphere that every spiritual blessing known to man resides. We enjoy pardon through the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, Ephesians 1 7. We have peace with God, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. We enjoy not only peace with God, but the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7, the peace that passes all understanding. We have the privilege of prayer. Ephesians 1, 3, and of course Peter said, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, His ears are open unto their prayers. 1 Peter 3, verse 12, we have the presence of God in our lives day in and day out because the Hebrew writer said on behalf of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God is at our side, and then we have the promise of heaven. Paul said, those of us who are in Christ, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. So you think about all these great spiritual blessings. Where do those blessings reside? In Christ and in the church of Christ. I want to just very quickly say one other thing before before we conclude tonight. I know there are a lot of folks that have this idea that Alexander Campbell was the one who founded or started the Church of Christ. That is not true. Alexander Campbell simply sought to go back to the teaching of the New Testament. With all due respect, if Alexander Campbell started the Church of Christ, I'm in the wrong church. I want to be a part of the church that Jesus founded. He is not only the founder of the church, Matthew 16, 18, He is the foundation of the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. One founder, one foundation. One builder, the builder, of course, Jesus. He bought the church, it belongs to Him. That means as His children, we belong to the Lord. And that means we are subjugating our lives unto Him. And so you think about the cause and effect here. They obeyed the gospel. They became New Testament Christians. And so in verse 42, here's what it says about the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. They were committed to the Word of God. They were committed to worshiping God. And they were committed to working in the kingdom of God. And today, we want to do the same. I wish we had more time. I have actually gone over time tonight. But I really appreciate this opportunity to share the gospel with you. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to to contact. contact. You can contact me. You can contact Brother Brooks or a number of other faithful gospel preachers, and I promise you, we'll do our best to tell you what the Bible has to say. We'll do our best to give you a biblical answer to a biblical question. Tonight, if you're not a New Testament Christian, if you're not a part of the church that we read about in Scripture, then you need to do what they did on Pentecost Day, well, what is that? Believe Jesus to be the Son of God, John 8, 24. And listen, if you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am there, you cannot come. And then to repent of your sins, as Peter announced in Acts 2, 38. Confessing with your mouth what you believe in your heart, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Be immersed in water so that you might contact the blood of Christ. Let God add you to the church. Remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit... You are all baptized into one body. When you're baptized into Christ, you're added to the body of Christ. You're numbered among the saved, Acts 2, verse 47. Be faithful till death after that. And the assurance is the crown of life. Listen, if you're listening tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, I remind you that John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our prayer tonight is that the word of God, that it has found an honest and good heart in you and that it will ultimately bring forth fruit. May the Lord bless and keep you. God bless.